Welcome back, and uh, we're delighted uh, in, in this part of the show to welcome another one of our very regular guests over the last decade, Louis Christopher from SQM Research. G'day, Louis. How you doing? G'day, Kevin. Nice to see you once again. Yeah, mate, and they said it wouldn't last. <laughs> but uh, you've, been, you've been with us almost since day one, Louis, and um, giving some tremendous insight into uh, you know market statistics. I've always admired. I mean, so many people now talk. Of yours, your reports are like benchmarks for where the industry's headed. So, Bushy, oh. one of the things I've spoken to Louis about over the years too is uh, his ability to pick up on trends nice and early, and and that's one of the things I think data gives us. Hey, Louis, can I just ask you before we launch into this, what, what are some of your early recollections about you and I working together over the years? What Do you remember when your first interview was? I think it was sometime circa 2010. And one of the things I, I recall, and I think it's a great credit to you, Kevin, is that uh, you know I, I've been somewhat cautious in terms of who I do interviews with. Uh, as you're well aware, I like to try and, as best I can, call a spade a spade when the market's yeah, coming up, yeah. where it's going down. And uh, generally, I remember uh, first speaking with you, just checking you out to be sure <laughs> that you see the same, you see the world in the same light too. And uh, and that's one thing that I've really enjoyed over the time is being not afraid to call it straight, whether it's up, whether it's down. Yeah. And I think we're all on the same page of what's important for investors nowadays is to find out exactly what's going on, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I think that's what has happened uh, with your program over the years, just calling it straight. That's so important. And, and I've always had a strong belief, as I know both Bushy and yourself have, that uh, it's really important to have a transparent market so people can make better investment decisions and it's better for the industry as well. Yeah, I, I can I can say as both a, a listener of the show for many years and, and enjoying your conversations, and then more recently uh, having the privilege to host Louis. That uh, what what I love about what you do is that you're often happy to say what many in the industry won't, and uh, you, you call a spade a spade. We hear the truth directly from you, not not the the spin or the or the sensationalism that we see from many other commentators. And uh, that, that's the thing that I've enjoyed the most. But tell me, uh, Louis, uh, over that last 10 years of the show, a bit more that the show's been operating, what has changed in property investment uh, during that period? And uh, what has influenced those changes as, as you've seen it? Yes, uh, enough of the good words. Let's get into the loathing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, look, uh, what's changed uh, for property investors over the years? Well, there's certainly been more information um, being able to be provided. I think uh, when I first got into involved in the industry, actually way back in 2000, really the only providers of information at the time were the real estate institutes um, and maybe one or two small providers such as RP Data was known at the time, which they were just focused on Queensland only. Um, Home Price Guide, which I originally worked for, which was only focusing on New South Wales. So I think what's changed for investors and all home buyers and home sellers is a proliferation of information over that time. It's definitely advanced. It's increased 
but sadly with that, it, it's it's become quite confusing because there, there are our cells providing data, there is core logic providing data, there is domain providing data. Then there's a whole bunch of smaller outfits now that are on the scene. They're providing their take on the market. And so it's become, I think, a little bit confusing uh, for investors um, in terms of what, what is actually going on. So that's one of the challenges for investors. But that said, those who do their research and understand the market and get some experience there, there, there are some great opportunities. I think overall, too, the market has become more efficient in a similar way that the stock market has become. I think gone are the days where sellers can, can convince someone to pay 20% over and above the market. Um, and I think the days are also gone where buyers think they can get a bargain 20% below the market. The market is the market. And with the additional information out there, a lot more buyers and sellers do understand where things are at right now. Yeah, extremely well said. Yeah, I, I, it's a really important point. I was just making a note there about what you said about that ability for people to buy under market, uh, because that's still a goal. I mean, many people look at uh, off-market sales as an opportunity to get in early and maybe get get a bargain. But it goes back to that earlier point, Louis, that you made about the amount of information that's available. It's it's it can it's a plus and a minus because it can be too much information that makes it really difficult to make a decision. Absolutely, there can be too much, and there can be very much conflicting information. Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, without us going a lot into say auction clearance rates, I mean, as you know, we have our own auction clearance rate series out there. Yeah, CoreLogic has their own auction clearance rate series. So does Domain, and and all three of us are saying different things about the market. Mm. It's the ability of everyone to collect the same similar data. I mean, if everyone was collecting the same data, the results would be the same. True, Kevin, but I would also argue that methodologies are quite different. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, that's right. Yeah, and and those different differing methodologies can give quite different takes on the on the market. Mm. Hey, hey, Louis, what what have been your top takeaways over the last decade? In terms of the market, um, oh, I, I think in terms of outperforming areas uh, over the past decade, Sydney would have to be up there in mm. terms of an outperforming area. Tasmania yeah. has also been an outperforming state where investors have done well over the past 10 years, well, certainly since 2015. Um, the market being more sensitive to interest rate movements is definitely something that, that, uh, and, uh, that we need to consider, as well as increased intervention in the marketplace in the form of, say, uh, the Australian Prudential Regulatory Authority uh, who from about 2014 um, have been interested in trying to restrict credit where they think that things are getting too bubbly uh, or loosen access to credit when uh, they think it's, uh, it's, it's more safe to enter into the waters. So I, I think they are some of the takes. The market overall being um, more sensitive to these big macro moves as opposed to what's happening locally. Um, I think we've seen that. Uh, of course, your individual regional townships, they've been up until COVID more um, sensitive to what's happening to those, to those local economies. Uh, but since COVID, 
um, have been swept up in the in those macro movements. Uh, yeah. And you know, this is the, the this is one factor I'm keeping a, a strong eye on in terms of what's going on with regional Australia, uh, the lo- the the regional Australian housing markets. Um, I see grand opportunities and I see grand risks. Uh, that they've historically been very volatile. We all know that nearly all boats have gone up uh, with COVID. And I just have some concerns that subsequent to COVID, many of these boats will go back down again. Yeah, it's a very good point. Well, it's a great segue into uh, starting to look into the future then, Louis. Uh, what do you think are going to be the likely impacts of some of these trends you're seeing on the property industry and property values over the next five to 10 years? The number one key trend to watch for is housing formation, the the number of occupiers per dwelling. Normally and historically, it's been a fairly stable number over 100 years with a gradual downtrend to less people per dwelling. All of a sudden, COVID's come along uh, and we've seen a dramatic decline in the number of people per dwelling because people have been looking to live with less people They've been looking to live in regional Australia to get away from lockdowns, to get away with COVID, get away from COVID. Could we now see a reversal of that uh, with, the, with the general view out there now that COVID's largely behind us and nothing to be greatly fearful of? And especially with the dramatic rise in rents, could that encourage, entice, force people back to living with each other again? And as a result of that, what will that mean for uh, the performance of, say, freestanding houses versus units? What will it mean for the performance of regional housing versus capital city housing prices? These are some of the the big demographic um, waves that have occurred in such a short space of time. And I do think that there will be some type of reversal, but what I can't tell you is the magnitude of that reversal. Maybe it's already starting to reverse now. And maybe what we will also see is a grand opportunity for the regionals that if we don't see a complete reversal where more and more people say, you know what, I I like living in regional Australia, I'm going to stick it out, I'm going to make it work, and I'm going to help grow this local town, which I dearly love. I think we will see an element of that. But over the short term, as mentioned before, I think there are risks and the risks are that given the huge jump in housing prices in many regional Australian townships, even just a slight change or downturn in demand could see a quick fall in those prices. And, and, and home buyers of today need to be wary of that. And there are precedents in all this. Yeah. Consider the town of Caratha. Of course, a, 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 a grand mining town, if there ever was one, on the yeah. northwest shelf. Yeah. Caratha housing prices back in 2002 were circa $200,000. In 2011, they were effectively a million dollars. And then in 2016, they fell back to $300,000. Okay, you wouldn't want to be on the on the wrong end of that downturn. And the problem is, is those type of massive swings could happen in other regional townships, given the booming demand we had due to COVID. 
That is the risk. Now, I'm not saying it's playing out right now. I couldn't point to a regional township right now where we're seeing a sudden collapse in demand. Not seeing it yet. I'm just concerned about it. And I think home buyers right now need to be cautious of these big movements that happen in regional Australia. That is yeah, such, a good, that's such a good point you make. Sorry, Bushy, um, you make there, Louis. And I, I wanted to dig a little deeper into that if I could, because, you know, based on what you've just said, and I think that's a key message out of the show, based on what you've just said, how how should we be preparing for that? Well, you know, what, what should we be looking out for? The leading indicators that will tell you, uh, having, a, having a chat with agents on the ground that you can trust that will help. You know, just, just watching the listings. So I first noticed a downturn starting to occur in Carafa when there was a sudden surge in listings, when rental vacancy rates started to pick up. You see it in the rental market first in these regional townships because it represents, you know, the rental market represents really the, 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 the forefront of the market in terms of what actual accommodation demand's going on. Is, it, is accommodation demand increasing or is it decreasing? You normally see it in the rental uh, stats first. Yeah, I, I, I think in the mining towns, we noticed that very much when the mining companies started to build their own accommodation, which took the need off for private accommodation, you know, the, the rental market. Yes. Yeah, so that, that, was a, that was a bit of an indicator, I guess. That's yeah. an indicator, but when they did that, the, the demand for rental accommodation had already peaked. Okay, right. Um, yep. and, and so, you know, uh, there were these just dramatic falls in rents. Mm, and it, yeah, fed through, it fed through into housing prices for the local area about six months afterwards. And I think we'll see a similar thing in, in, in some of these regional townships. Now, I, I think there'll be areas which will not be necessarily affected um, maybe coastal regional areas, I think they'll probably hold up better. Now, we're talking overall about this short-term massive wave uh, in terms of the demographic. I think long-term, there are grand opportunities for regional Australia. We need, we need as a country <clears throat> to invest into our regional townships. There's too much reliance on our economic welfare for the big capital cities. And I think long before the three of us, long after the three of us actually leave this planet, we will see these regional townships grow and prosper, just like what happened in the United States throughout the 19th century and the 20th century. It'll happen here in Australia. Well, it has to. It has to. And there will be great opportunities over the long, long term. We just need to watch out for the short term. That's all. Yeah, very good point. I've heard a number of commentators talk about the, some of the, the driving criteria that will separate the winners from the losers in regional hubs have been around the critical mass of population in that location, the uh, diversity of employment and industries, uh, and strong and growing incomes that can continue to support uh, increasing prices where the committed infrastructure and that technology there technology actually enables people to live and work in in more rural locations what's what's your read of all of that Louis? absolutely spot on i think uh, without wi-fi um the internet being able to reach into regional australia and remember and we still have it today uh there are there are massive black spots in regional australia in terms of the internet but 
a number of the key townships now have it. And that's helped tremendously. I mean, remember back when we were growing up in regional Australia, my goodness, many regional townships didn't even have television. You know, we're, we're, we're coming a long way. And um, we've, we've having um, good internet now in many regional townships. This will help the local population stay and not be as trans, transient. They'll stick around um, because they see grand opportunity within these townships and growing populations. So uh, definitely this, this has helped. And I think we will out of this. I think one thing that there is a permanent change as a result of COVID is the working from home. Uh, now, I know that there are many employers who want to see their workforce come back into the office. As an employer, I'm asking my employees to come back into the office, but not, not full time, not five days a week. I'm asking them at the moment to come back three days a week. Uh, and then two days working from home. Now that can work uh, for someone who wants to work remotely. It can it can still work. Um, so I, I think uh, I think that permanent change is going to help these regional locations. That's a good insight, Louis, as we would have expected anyway, mate. But um, we've come to the end of our time together. But thank you so much for for firstly your support for our show over the years, Louie, and it's always great talking to you, mate. I appreciate it. And all the best for you with your reports through SQM, of course. Oh, thank you so much. I feel like we've only just uh, uh, touched the iceberg today. I mean, we, we should yeah, I, I know, mate. So yeah, but remember, Louie, we're going to be talking to you in the future. This is not the end of the story, my friend. No, so absolutely. I'll I know you can bring a lot to the table. Session. Yeah, and uh, and obviously we we should have a good chat about interest rates on another session for your audience. Yep. Okay. Well, let's make that the next one. Uh, we can lock that in for sure, Louis. Good on you, mate. Thank you. Thank you, Bushy. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks Thank for you your like. time. And uh, that's where we're going to come to the end of the show. Stick around, uh, Louis and I. Uh, sorry, not Louis. Louis. Louis got to go. But uh, Bushy and I are going to stick around and and just give you a summary on uh, some of the key points out of this week's show. Uh, stick around. Back in just a minute. 